Acts 21, verses 1 through 16. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and there from there to Pantera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed on Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Acts chapter 21, we are making our way through the book of Acts. We've come to a very important, I believe, and key moment in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And therefore, being key in his life, it teaches us very important principle concerning the Christian life. And the idea is that there is no turning back. There is no turning back. It was President Calvin Coolidge, the 30th President of the United States, who once said, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than an unsuccessful man with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Persistence. The Bible speaks of it as perseverance. It's one of those unmistakable 
qualities of Christianity. Christians are expected to press on. Christians are expected to persevere in the faith, to persevere in calling, to persevere in duty. The faithful, above all, beloved, seek to stay the course. That's what Jesus said. Mark chapter 13, verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Perseverance. Now, perseverance does not mean perfection. Perseverance simply means that you're going in the right direction. Perseverance does not mean that you won't lose a battle or two. Perseverance just simply means you don't quit. And as Paul was wrapping up his third missionary journey here in Acts chapter 21, as he was heading home from this last trip, as he was making his way and determined to get to Jerusalem, so that in Jerusalem he might encourage the saints there with the testimony and the gifts of the saints out from Jerusalem, that he might check in with the leadership there and then ultimately go on to his ultimate destination, which was Rome. Here we see the apostle of Jesus Christ determined to get to Jerusalem. More than ever, it just seems, he was determined to stay the course, no matter what. No turning back. No turning back. What we have here in, in Acts 21 is essentially a travel log. You see that? You might remember, you should remember that Luke... Dr. Luke is the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the account of Acts. He can write the account of Acts because he traveled with Paul. And in traveling with Paul, thankfully, he recorded for us all of the God-led movements of the apostle as well as the events that surrounded his life. And the itinerary that we see here that, that Luke gives us is, is a precise and a full itinerary. Notice what he says. After leaving Philippi, in chapter 20 and verse 6, they traveled for five days and they came to Troas. They spent five days in Troas. And from Troas, they traveled four days to Miletus. And from Miletus, they traveled seven days to Tyre. And there in Tyre, they spent seven more days. They had to spend seven days in, in Tyre because apparently they had a layover. The ship that they were on, the Bible says, had to be unloaded. 
and it had to be loaded again. And they didn't have these huge cranes like we have today. These ships had to be loaded and unloaded by hand. It took some time. And Paul and his companions had some time on, this, on their hands. Apparently, this loading and unloading would take a few days. And so they did like most of us would do. They sent word to some brothers and sisters in Tyre and asked them if they could hang out with them for a few days. I know exactly how this works. Living close to one of the busiest airports in the world, like we do, we, we often find ourselves with the blessings of friends suddenly calling us out of the blue and telling us that they have a layover or they have missed their flight and wonder if they could come and hang out for a few moments or if we have an extra bed or pillow that they can borrow. Now, beloved, don't get it wrong. We don't run a bread, bed and breakfast at the car home. Don't get excited, Sheena. <laughs> but what a joy it is, beloved. What a joy it is to have unexpected visits of friends. While with these friends, they must have told them of their, tra their intended travel to Jerusalem. And once they informed Paul of their, and once they informed, once Paul informed these friends of his, of his intended travel to Jerusalem, apparently the Spirit of the Lord informed these friends, as he had already did the Apostle Paul, that when Paul got to Jerusalem, there was going to be some trouble. There was going to be some persecution. There was trial that awaited Paul in Jerusalem. And having heard this from the Spirit of God, these friends did what any good friends would do. They warned Paul. Paul, the Lord has told us, if you continue on to Jerusalem, there's going to be trouble. There's going to The Bible says that after seven days in Tyre, having warned the apostles, they all went down by the seashore, prayed with him, and they got on the ship, and they headed for Ptolemais. They traveled a day to Ptolemais with the brothers and sisters there. And from Ptolemais, the Bible says, the next day they came to Caesarea. And there they would spend several days in Caesarea, catching up once again with Philip, a dear brother that they had known from Jerusalem. Remember that he was one of the seven in Acts chapter 6, one of the original diaconate servants. He was an early evangelist. Remember that he had witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch in the church. He was well known. And apparently by this time, Philip and his family had relocated to Caesarea. And by now he had four daughters who were faithfully serving the Lord in their singleness. And apparently fulfilling, fulfilling the words of Joel, chapter 
2, and again, in, in what Peter spoke in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, where the Bible says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they all shall prophesy. So it was with these four young ladies. The Spirit of the Lord had come upon them. And in their singleness, giving themselves over to the things of God, not concerned with the things of the world, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon them. They were faithfully speaking the word of God. In fact, not only were these young ladies speaking the word of God, the Bible says that while they were with Philip and his family, a well-known prophet came. One known as Agabus. He came to the house, apparently, and he prophesied. And in prophesying again, receiving from the Spirit of the Lord the events that were going to come to Paul as he enters into Jerusalem, warning Paul again that going to Jerusalem meant sure trouble, sure punishment, sure imprisonment, and perhaps even worse. see this recurring theme that is going on here, beloved. The warnings were real. The warnings were severe. And I am convinced that this is where we need to learn our lesson this morning. This is where the Spirit of God desires to speak to us from his word and order our steps this morning. This is where the spirit of the Lord will speak to us through the servant Paul and show us two important truths this morning. I pray that they will be pressed upon our hearts and minds. truths of these that we find in this text. The Spirit's promise and Paul's resolve. Consider, beloved, the Spirit's promise. It was made clear to the Apostle Paul that the road ahead would not be an easy one. That was clear. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul himself says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Constrained, he says, by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
trouble is coming for. And so that Paul doesn't misunderstand, two more times that promise is given. Chapter 21 and verse 4. Chapter 21 and verse 11. Here's something to remember. When the Holy Spirit makes a promise, the Holy Spirit is going to keep his promise. You know what the Holy Spirit promises? The Holy Spirit promises Not just to Paul. The Holy Spirit promises trouble to God's people. The road God was leading Paul on was a road designed with obstacles and designed with trial. And those beloved who come and become Christians looking for a life, life of ease have come to the wrong place. You've come to the wrong place. I'm sorry. You cannot read the words of Jesus and get anything from them except that he teaches us that to follow him will not be easy. And if you get anything else from that, you are reading the Bible wrongly. It is to read the Bible with blinders on. And yet those, beloved, who have ears, let them hear. Let them hear again what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. John, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Who doesn't understand that? Again, in this world you will have trouble. John, 15, verse 20. Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. Jesus said, If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Beloved, Jesus endured trouble. Do we think those 
the quote-unquote church think, and contrary to what many preach on television, God has not and does not promise us eat. He does not promise you and I that we will not suffer loss. He does not promise us perfect health. He does not promise us all loving relationships. He does not promise us all abundant wealth. But on the contrary, the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who seek to live godly. Godliness is not wanted in this world. There are sable of it. Godliness is not even wanted in most churches. Following after Christ is not applauded in the world. Every day, every day, beloved, the world is seeking to legislate godliness out of existence. Every day, laws are seeking to be passed where godliness is is seeking to be restrained and let ungodliness run loose. And where they can't legislate it out of existence, they try to bully it out of existence. And if you would stand for Christ, if you would seek to live a godly life, beloved, then don't be surprised when trouble comes. In fact, that's what the Bible says. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you to test you as if something strange was happening to you. This is not strange. The Holy Spirit promised it. And when you seek to follow after the Lord, the world will deliver it. Don't be surprised as if something strange is happening to you. But instead, Peter says, rejoice. What? Rejoice. Because, beloved, not only has the Holy Spirit promised trouble, but he has also promised glory. He has also promised glory. The promise of God is not only trouble, but the promise is that the end of that trouble is always rejoicing. Always. 
Bible says, doesn't it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17. For momentary light affliction is doing what? Is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Don't just see the trouble. Don't just see the trial. Don't just see the loss.